Acts chapter 20. I want to read verses 25 to 33, and we're going to do a bit of recap this morning. Verse 25 to 33, it says, Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. Verse 31, so be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. We spent about probably the last month and a half hovering over the last section of, of Acts chapter 20, and you're going, okay, let's move on. You know, but this is, uh, this is really important because these verses really illuminate, not just these ones, but the ones before it, uh, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, what we are to be about, and also the structure that God sets up for leadership within the church to make sure that that happens. It's very important that we would be all focused on God's kingdom, his principles, his direction for our lives individually as a church to his glory. That's what we were created for, amen? And as we know, Paul's wrapping up his third missionary journey. He's headed back to Jerusalem to give those poor suffering saints a collection uh, that all the the, uh, Gentile churches had collected to give to them. We know there are no Gentiles or Jews in Christ, but for the sake of clarification, that's what's going on. And on his way back, he stops in Miletus to say parting words to these elders in Ephesus that he will not see again. And the crux of his message is, how I lived is how you're now to live. The way that I loved is the way you're to love. The way that I... Uh, shepherded the flock of God is now to be the way that you're shepherding the flock of God. I'm not going to be here anymore. I'm passing the torch to you. I won't be able to see you again. We're not going to Facebook. We're not going to text. It's over. There's a finality of his ministry in this season of his life. I think this is important, that there comes a time when there's no longer the ability to do what God's called you to do. The season has ended. And have we done all to the glory of God? Have we said, I've laid it all on the table. I've, I've handed it off to the next generation. It's important. But Paul is passing this torch, and his heart's desire is that, that this, this group of men, these elders, would continue to shepherd that flock. We fast forward 70 years or so, we read in um, Revelation chapter 2, And Jesus starts speaking to the church of Ephesus. And he says, you've done great. You've guarded doctrine, but this I have against you. You've left your first love. 
So there's always something that we're to be working toward. There's always some kind of infiltration by the enemy either from the outside or with the inside. And God, through Paul, is saying, I just long for you to be on the straight and narrow. I long for you to be walking in the Spirit. And he's talking to these guys because they are the key for that happening within this church. He's going to give them charge that they would continue his week, uh, his work of leading and feeding and guarding and warning the flock that the Holy Spirit had given them charge over. And so in recapping verses 18 through 22 of chapter 20, he gives them a summary of his life when he was with the Ephesians for three years. Just a quick recap. Paul gave him the elders four areas of ministry, four areas of ministry that he lived out and they were to be directing the church in. And we see first, in verse 18, service towards God with great humility. We're to be serving God. Secondly, edifying the church. Verse 20, he didn't hesitate to give all that God had given him to do to give to them. He didn't withdraw from the gifts that God had given him to give away. Thirdly, preaching the gospel of repentance and faith towards Christ to the lost world around you. That's what he did. He didn't withdraw from that, even at the the hands of great persecution. And lastly, kind of ambiguous, but the the inner ministry of sacrifice. Paul is always about sacrifice. None of this comes about unless you deny self and follow God. And the church is to be marked by sacrifice. That is what we're to be marked by. Not my will, but your will. Not my comfort, but your kingdom. And so that was in in verses 22 through 24. So Paul says, this is how I lived. I I, I served God, I edified the church, I evangelized the lost, and I died to my will. And that really defines what the church is to be about. It's very loose, um, you know, just kind of, uh, just bullet points. There's a lot you can fill in within all those things, and there's service, and there's all these other types of things. But he's just laying down, if you had just one last chance to say, be about this, this is what he's doing. He encapsulates his whole life. He says, I was about these things. I was serving God. I was serving the church. I was reaching the lost, and I died to myself. That's kind of what should define us as a body. And Paul, he says, the way I lived, now you're to live. Live that way and direct the church in those things. Direct the church in those things. You know, and that's really what leadership is. It's example and exhortation. Example and exhortation. And so Paul shifts his thoughts off of his example. He said, this is how I live, now you live. Now he begins to exhort the elders. He's talking to a group of elders and he's saying, now this is what you're to do. And he starts exhorting them. In verse uh, 28, Paul gives the first role of an elder or a shepherd within the church when he says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. There's a lot to discuss there. I've gone into depth on some of it, but I want to tap some highlights because they're very important. We discussed last week, but it's important to reiterate that the church Within the church, God has placed uh, the authority uh, within the church to elders. That is what he has done. 
That's his design. Within the role of family, you see it within the father and then the mother ruling over the children. The children are to submit to that authority. You see it within government. God sets up government. And with government, the citizens are to submit, submit to the government. And then within the church, the elders are to rule the church. And we know that when we hear the word rule, we go, oh, great. So pause to clarify that just as he does with marriage. He says one thing, wives submit to your husbands, but then he spends four verses on the guy saying, now love your wives as Christ, love the church. You gotta die. You gotta serve. You gotta love. And so that's the motto. We don't lord it over, but we live it out and we love it out, right? But make no mistake, Jesus gave the elders authority within the church to correct, rebuke, exhort, encourage, edify, direct, all those types of things. I don't like that. How many of you like to resist authority? Yeah, yeah, okay. But really, think about it within the Godhead. You have three co-equal people within the Godhead. Believe me, I don't understand it. Okay, so I'm not even going to get there. But you have the Son, who is God, and yet he submits to the will of the Father. The Father has the authority, tells the Son what to do, and yet they're both God within the Scripture. And the Holy Spirit is silent behind the whole thing, testifying to the Son, drawing people to the Son, who draws people to the Father, and that's how it works. And so he sets that up where? Within his creation. Kind of interesting, isn't it? So this is not a bad thing. It's a God-designed thing, and it's for the health and the glory of God that he does it if it's done in God's way, in his plan, in his spirit, amen? And that's a big if, and that's the big problem throughout church history, amen? So I don't want to talk about that lightly. But he says to this group of elders, he says, first keep watch over yourselves. And that's the first thing he does, is keep watch over yourselves and then the flock of God. Be shepherds of the church of God. Overseeing the flock of God is a serious matter. It's a serious calling. Because the flock of God, the church, the bride of Christ, has been purchased. And it hasn't been purchased with sacrifices of animals. It hasn't been purchased with money or stock options or power plays. It is purchased with the blood of God. God's son, Jesus Christ, died the most precious commodity on earth, the blood of Jesus Christ, and in heaven was used to redeem sinful mankind from the slavery of sin and eternal damnation. And so it's within that light that the elders are to look at the flock of God going, this isn't something cheap that we're dealing with here. This is the most precious thing in God's eyes. You the people, I'm a sheep bought with the blood of Jesus. And, and that's the light in which we're to shepherd the flock of God. We're to keep that in mind. And Paul ties this shepherding the flock of God with that ever-present consciousness that the people of God were purchased from that slavery by the blood of Jesus. You know, the blood of Jesus is a serious matter, and I don't want to go too far into this, but we kind of just, oh yeah, the blood of Jesus, and we take the cup and we remember and we're thankful and those things, but it's really serious. You know, just a few thoughts for you to ponder to help us appreciate the power of the blood of Jesus and why it's important. First John 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And I love the word all. And it cleanses us from all sin. 
And so you think of the sin of your life. You think of the things that, um, the secret and, and the open and, and the moral failures and what you didn't do, you know you should do and all those types of things. And guess what the blood of Christ does? It cleanses us from all sin. Praise the Lord. Don't you love that? Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. So the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience from dead works. How many of you need your conscience cleansed from dead works and, and re, the, with the new realization that you're free to serve the Lord, the living God? Amen. That's what the blood of Jesus Christ did and does to sinners. It frees you, cleanses you. In Revelation 12.10, it says regarding the saints, and they overcame him, that is Satan, by the what? Blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. We win. Amen? How do we win? The blood of Jesus Christ, him alone. He alone is worthy to open that seal. He is it. That is, and so Paul's saying to this, these guys, hey, you shepherd the, the, the flock of God whom the Holy Spirit made you overseers, but he purchased these people with the blood of God. You better keep that in mind, what that blood of God represents. And they would know that deeply as elders. They would know that theology. The blood of Jesus is the mercy and grace of God poured out for us. So here in Acts 20, he's, he's reminding them of that blood. So that sets the tone for the leaders within the church. And elders are to shepherd with that in mind. And so, and the elders will also give an account to that, Hebrews 13, 7 says. So quickly, it's important we see that elders within the church are to be cho- are chosen by the Holy Spirit. We spoke about that in depth last week. This isn't something the church elects although we have a part in that process, and I don't want to go reteach that message again, but the Holy Spirit does it through the will of a person, through the, the evidence stacked up that God has called that person into service, correct? As they serve as deacons first, they're tested, and then by the Holy Spirit, I believe either through prophecy or through the collection of the church, they are raised up and chosen. I think it will also testify to a group of spirit-driven saints as they grab together and say, yes, that person is called by the Lord. And then they serve as a shepherd to the sheep. And the serving, make no, make no mistake, is a servant leadership. It's a servant leadership, just like Jesus. And so the first thing Paul commands this group of elders to do who are chosen by God is to be one who, ones who watch. And the word watch is also translated guard, and there's a lot of thoughts for that. But you have shepherds, elders in your lives, who are called by God to watch over themselves and over you. Over themselves and over you. And Paul, what does this mean uh, to watch? And and I believe it really has a lot to do with temptation, and we'll do with false teaching in just a minute. But uh, Paul warned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4 through 6, he says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life and doctrine closely. What does that mean? He says, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both your, your, your self and your hearers. And so the elders are to be watching their own lives first, and, and uh, that their lives match what they teach, and what they teach matches how they live, and all according to the word of God. Does that make sense? 
what they say is how they live, and what they live is what they say, and it's all matched up to what he says. And that's the important thing right there. And, and that's, the, that's the first. And then G- Jesus also said, watch and pray that you do not fall into temptation, right? Temptation is huge. We've got these dumb bodies within us, these weights around us, Paul's, because these bodies were dragging around. We've got the Spirit of God within us, but oh, that stupid flesh. Every day you wake up and you're like, hey, there you are. I want to serve God. Well, I don't. You know, I want to smoke crack or I want to go yell at someone or whatever it is, you know. I mean, we all got it, right, in different ways. And it just, that is the, the stupid old man. That gets crucified every day. But temptation is drawing upon what that old man wants. And it appeals to our desires. And so Jesus said, watch and pray that you don't be tempted away. So we've got to be on guard for those things that would be temptations in our lives to draw us away from the blessing and the guidance of God, amen? And we're all prone to that. So elders are to watch themselves, first of all. And if you remember, I finished last week with King David, and he was saying, uh, he's saying, get creating me, a, uh, in Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart and a pure spirit in uh, Sorry, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. It says, don't cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways that sinners will turn back to you. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Make me right and then I will teach. Then I will be an elder. Does that make sense? And so how do you think you can be praying for your elders? We've got our own lives straightened out. That we're right before God, that we're walking in the Lord in the Spirit. Amen? And then we will be good shepherds with a plank out of our own eyes. So that's the first thing he says. Watch over yourselves and the flock. And he says in verse 28, and this is the second half of verse 20, he says, be shepherds of the church of God which he bought with his own blood. And this is important because when we talk about overseeing and elding and leading, the world has one standard of how that's supposed to be. But the word of God has something totally different. The kingdom of God is something different. It's a servant kingdom. It's all about what is good for the other person, not according to their flesh, but what according to what God says, because that's what's best. And that's where we got it messed up. I'm here to make sure you're just happy. No, that's not it. I'm here to make sure that you have God's best for your life and what he says is flowing in there. And so um, Paul says, be shepherds. And really that's the heart of what defines an elder or an overseer or a pastor. They're all shepherds. Amen? And the word shepherd is the word for pastor. Did you know that? The word shepherd means pastor. So he tells the elders, be shepherds. Go pastor the flock. I don't want to get into roles and offices within the church at this time. But elders are to pastor the, the, the flock of God. And how they do that is different within leadership giftings and teaching giftings and all those types of things. But all of what they're to do is to lead the people of God into the green pastures, to lead them in the righteous paths, to lead them into the things of the Spirit. And so, yes, an elder is to watch over the sheep. And, of course, sheep die if they are not fed and watered. And so elders are to lead the sheep. This is what, 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 elders, uh, what shepherds do. They lead the sheep to green pastures, to cool waters, right? So their souls restored by the Lord. And they're to give those sheep spiritual food, spiritual drink. What do you think that is? 
to who? Jesus says, I am spiritual food. I am spiritual drink. John 6, heavy passage. We lead people to feast upon Christ. We lead people to feast upon Christ. Spiritual sheep need spiritual food. And Jesus is the milk and Jesus is the meat. We lead people to Jesus, the word, the living word. And what he says is life. His words are spirit. They're to lead people to Jesus, to his word and to the things of the spirit. So Jesus told Peter, Peter do you love me? Remember that? What did he say? You know, I love you and you know, all that stuff, right? Feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Tend is the word for pastor and feed my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to pastor my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. And so a shepherd who loves God will lead the sheep into feeding upon Christ. And so a shepherd that loves God, he's going to watch over the sheep. He's going to watch over himself, obviously. He's going to lead them. He's going to feed them. And he's also going to guard and warn the sheep. And that's where we are, verse 29. So it says, I know, verse 29, that after I leave, savage wolves, weighty wolves, are going to come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. So be on your guard or watch. Right? So Paul's great concern is not only that the sheep are watched over and led and fed, and also that, but it's also that they're guarded from enemies who would infiltrate from the outside as well as rise up from within the church. You know, we know this from Psalm 23 and some other things. A shepherd was equipped. He kind of walked around with a staff and a rod. Right? And the purpose of the rod was what? It was correction and to also smack the heck out of wolves. Right? That's what, the, what they were doing. It's interesting. I'm part of the East End Rod and Gun Club. Okay, I just alienated half of you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> People from California, it's okay. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a couple of us in here. I'm just kidding. But that idea carries the same idea into our culture. It's a rod. It's, it's a weapon. It's an offensive, defensive weapon. The idea is for protection. And so a shepherd was equipped with a rod. And Paul had seen the tempts by the, the, uh, the wolves to come in and to rise up. Why do you think that the wolves were not in and rising up? Because there was a shepherd with a rod. And Paul's saying, when I'm gone, it's going to continue to try to happen. You guys are the ones to need to be able to do that, to come in there and attack. Is it getting warm in here? Overruled. No, I'm just <laughs> I don't know. Someone figured that out. <laughs> but when a predator came in, it was up to the elder to do what? To protect. To protect. Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Your rod, your rod and the staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. It's great when sheep can just focus on feeding and growing. Isn't that great? But when there's a lot of anxiety and stuff, it's just not a very healthy environment. And the, sh- the elders are to create that environment, to allow to maintain that environment where you, the people, are allowed to just come in and feast upon the word of God and love each other 
And so when we see things that would be disruptive to that, it is our role within the authority of God to come in and start to correct the sheep and also to defend you from that infiltration on the outside. The nature of wolves. The nature of wolves is that they are predators. Artie would be able to talk about this a lot. Are there more wolves in the hills, Artie? A whole lot more wolves. And what happens to all the the game that we enjoy? They're gone, right? They decrease because the predators increase. And the nature of wolves is that they like to take. They're not there to give to the sheep. They're there to suck them dry and to take their very life essence from them for their own gain. And that's what it is. Sheep that are outside the protection of a shepherd, they get attacked. Amen? So make no mistake, a wolf is not there to give the sheep, give to the sheep, but to take from the sheep their lives for the wolf's benefit. And Paul's telling these elders, when I leave, this is going to happen. They're going to come in from the outside, and there are going to be people, the spiritual equivalent of wolves are going to come into your flock. They're going to come in from the inside, they're going to come in from the outside. That's what's going to happen. And what does that look like? Peter talks about this more in depth in 2 Peter chapter 2. This is very important because you, you as sheep probably want to know what a wolf is, right? You're like, oh, that looks like a weird sheep, and then you die. You know, it's like, that's not what you want. You want to go, okay, that's a wolf, and you move away, right? In 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter really gives us a little more clarity as to, and he just unloads on wolves in this chapter, but he, he says as to these wolves and, and, and what, who they are and what, why they're doing what, I'm sorry, and, and what they're doing, what's so dangerous about it. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But there were also false prophets back then, or false teachers. So wolves are false teachers, false prophets, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And so those wolves are false teachers and false prophets. That's who they are, okay? What do they do that is so dangerous? He goes on, he says, They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them and bringing swift destruction on themselves. They secretly introduce destructive heresies. One thing about predators is that they are crafty. The devil is like a roaring lion who's prowling, he's creeping, he's looking, he's he's seeking out the weakness, and he's going to attack it, right? And so wolves are the same way. They are secretly introduced those destructive heresies. Predators are sly, they're stealth, they're calculated. And these, the things that false teachers do is bring in teachings that contradict the teachings of the Lord Jesus. That would seek you to move away from his goodness and his grace and his righteous paths. And the thing about it is that it is so deceptive because guess what, what they're appealing to? They're appealing to the dead guy that's attached to you. the one who's with you every single day. And if you're not discerned, if you're not mature, you don't know it. And you get drawn away. And so what are elders to be? Ones who are able to discern that, what's going on. That these teachings aren't according to the Spirit, they're according to the flesh. And they're drawing people away. 
And the sad thing is I don't think these, sometimes these even teachers know that what's going on is because they're spiritually discerned. They're, they're carnal. So they bring in these heresies. In those days, uh, going about, there was a teaching going about that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. You know, that you're saved by grace through faith and circumcision. Right? That's what was going on. And coming from a Jewish culture, coming in that stuff, that just seemed right. Okay, this is a hybrid. In other words, it's all connected. And Jesus said, no, old covenant, new covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. Different deals. And there was a teaching, Paul, to go in because these Jews were coming in saying, no, you have faith in Christ and all that stuff, but you must keep to this, you must do that, and by the way, you have to do this. If not, you're not. And Paul's called those people mutilators. And he got really serious about it. It was one of the false teachings that were going along in that day. That you weren't saved by grace through faith, but also by keeping the law. Now, make no mistake, there's got to be evidence. That's what James talks about. You say that you believe that in, in Christ, but where's the evidence? Faith without works is dead. Better have fruit on that tree, right? So, I, I don't want to go into that part. But the ramifications of that were horrible within the church. Because either you're saved by the blood of Christ or you're saved by Christ and, which isn't salvation at all. Either you're saved by the blood of Christ or you're also saved by all the good works you have done and you go to purgatory to pay off what you didn't do. And all this type of stuff that seeps into the church. Another heresy was Gnosticism. And the idea behind that was that all that really mattered was, were things pertaining to spirit and that all flesh was bad. The physical world was evil. The, the spirit was what all the counted. That's a very convenient doctrine when I've got this dead man hanging around me. Because it doesn't matter what this person does all day long. It's just as long as I'm a Christian. Boy, that still rings true today, doesn't it? And that there was secret knowledge that God passed through Jesus to the apostles and to only the secret club could get the secret knowledge. And if you really wanted to be the super Christian, you would go find the secret knowledge and boy, that would be great. So you have the Gnostic Gospels and things like that. And the ramifications were division. Who had the secret knowledge? And also you could live however you wanted because, hey, all that mattered was the Spirit. And so John had to address this. That's what he was doing in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. That's why he's saying, I've handled Christ. I've touched Christ. We've been with him. We've been with the physical Jesus. He physically died. He physically rose again. He was combating that. The idea that all you have to do is just say you're a Christian and believe, and it's all spirit and la-la. No, it works out in the flesh. It works out in your life. You're changed. And guess what? That's why John said to this church, what did he say? He said, guess what? You say you see a brother in need and you don't help them out? He said, the love of God is not in you. Make no mistake, you have a false teaching about love. 
And boy, our culture has a false teaching about what love is. If there's ever a problem within the church, we do not know what love is. We do not know what grace is. Love is not the freedom of sin and grace is not the freedom to sin. You know what I'm saying? Freedom from sin. Praise the Lord that we actually have power over sin. Yay, that's grace. Love that. And even in the midst of our deep fallenness, that God will raise us out in his mercy and grace. Thank you. That's grace. But not that we want to stay in it and bathe in it. You know, what is love? Love is just two people who love each other. That's what love is. And God is a God of love. And if God is a God of love, then if I love another man and I want to get married to him, that's love. And then who are you to tell me what love and love is, isn't it? You got the wrong definition of love. That's not God's love. grace and all these other things. And so you can see there's a great pressure within these philosophies that are coming into a church just from their time and from ours that are infiltrating, that are warping the true uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. And the elder's job is constantly to be saying, no, that is not what the Lord teaches. This is what he teaches. Come on, let's go this way. And then leading them in the paths of righteousness, guarding them from that crud. And the thing is, is in that day, it was a tighter community. Now you can hop on the internet and listen to whatever you want and go whatever you want. And it's just, you don't like what happens at this church, you go to the next church. And that's it. It's really difficult to shepherd. Cheap art everywhere. And wolves... They have instant access in your home anytime. And so, these teachers were rooted in sensuality and in depravity, and they were appealing to people's flesh, not the spirit. This is important to know. Who are you listening to? What are they teaching you? Are they appealing to your flesh or your spirit? This is what Peter talks about. Continuing Second Peter, this is very important, church, in the last few minutes here. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring uh, the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, that's their motivation, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. What do you hear on TV? What do you hear? Oh, the Lord, there's a 700-foot Jesus and all this stuff, whatever it is. Fabricated stories. And their condemnation has been long hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Fighting words from Peter. He says, stay away. You see the wolves. They're all about flesh. They're about depravity and sensuality and they use sensationalism and fabricated stories to draw the sheep out. Their motives were greed. What they could get out of people. Fame, money, attaboys, jets, cars, houses, you name it. Positions. They tickled people's ears. That's what Paul was talking to Timothy. They tickled ears. You know, it's easy to do that. It's easy to appeal to what you want. Human nature is pretty simple. Look at advertising. Why do you think you go buy that weird thing? Go ahead and continue to live however you want. All that matters is that you've been saved by grace. And yet, when a pastor comes up and says, repent, all of a sudden they're judging. 
or God is a God of love, and we talked about that. You see, someone got in there and they, they redefined grace. They redefined love. They redefined what it means to be married. They redefined things according to meet people's lust, what they want to hear, what they want. Do you see that? And Paul describes these teachers in 1 Timothy chapter 3 where he says, there are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They have a form of godliness, but denying its power, stay away from them. So these philosophies in various forms are coming at you. Do you understand? They're coming at you. Coming at us. And it's appealing to our fallen nature, to our lusts, that which which we as followers of Jesus are supposed to have crucified our passions. And it's the role of the shepherd to take that rod to the false teacher until they're gone by God's grace. So elders protect the sheep from false teachers on the outside, and both Peter and Paul warned that it's not a matter of if, but when. If, but when. It's happening. And so you look at Christianity, and we look at, and and, and not trying to judge, but you got to evaluate, I guess. As you're looking at the world, what does it reflect? Does it reflect the world, or does it reflect the king? How does he do things? It's, I understand, we can get into legalism and all that stuff. But just go to the word. What does it say? What does it look like? How do they live? And just, what is, just go feast on that. Is that pleasing to the Lord? You know, I have a, a, a grieving thing in my heart sometimes in that there's always a, um, there's always a nagging thing in, in the back of my mind to entertain you. There's, an, there's always a nagging thing. What can we do to keep people? What can we do to grow the church through entertaining you? You see what I'm saying? It's there, and I struggle with it. And, and you know, if we just had shiny lights and all the professional polished things, if my message was 20 minutes, you know, I'm, <laughs> Steve's like, yeah. <laughs> I feel you, brother. And yet, I pop up American Idol, and we are good to go. Right? Three-hour football game, leave me alone. I'm focused. I'll even watch the commercials. I'm just saying. What does that mean, that narrow road? So elders are responsible to know what's being taught. This is important. This is application. We, we need to know what's being taught in our church. That's not your call. Isn't that hard to say? That's the elder's call. What is being taught and how it's being taught and who's teaching it and where it's being taught within the church? Why? Because that's what they're called to do. They're called to protect and to defend and guide doctrine within the church. And how that looks gets sticky. I'm sorry, it just does. Because you got men at the central. <laughs> Broken, fallen people, for crying out loud. But making sure that what's being taught isn't appealing to the flesh. Right? 
making sure it's, it's, it's good with the Spirit, making sure the motives behind the teachers are pure. That's hard stuff, especially when you've got your own stuff going on. That's why he says, watch yourself first. Take the plank out of your own eye, for crying out loud. I tell you what, what most we struggle as elders is going, gosh, I've got planks in my own eye. How am I supposed to govern? To a man, we're all shaking our heads right now. Pray for us. Amen? But that's what we're to do. The elders are, t- are responsible to know what's being taught and who's teaching, and they have the authority to lovingly say no or yes to what is being taught and who's teaching it. And further than that, that's the negative part of it. The positive part is not only that, the elders are to be guarding from false uh, doctrine, yes, but the elders are to be actually directing in the positive. We are to be leading the the sheep into the pastures. Does that make sense? And while I'm kind of the, the teaching pastor here, the elders surround me and are kind of making it to where we, we go into the green pastures, either financially or physically or whatever it might be. Let's go to green pastures, amen? We're working together to go, come and eat and enjoy the Lord and, and, and express His goodness and direct your lives into serving God and to edifying the church. And Let's go reach the world. And by the way, it's going to require sacrifice because that's what Jesus did, amen? And we want to model that for you. So pray for your elders. So I'm not sitting here as an authoritarian going, you should do this. It's like, oh, Lord, help us. I want you to know how, what God's, how God, he's, he set up his church, how he set up his, his family. Because you know when the parents are berserk, the kids go berserk. Amen? Boy. Oh. Sorry, I'm speaking from the heart here a lot. So in verse 31, Paul says to the elders, so be on your guard. Guard the flock. And he continues, remember that for three years I I didn't stop warning each of you night and day with tears. You can see his heart there, and I'm going to skip through a lot. But that's one of the other things is warning the church, not only just guarding, but warning. I love my son. He's on his bike. It's sunset. Guess what I'm talking to him about? Put on your helmet. Be watch out because the sun's down. You're going to get hit by a car if you're not careful. And by the way, they might hit you anyways, even if you are careful. You know what I'm saying? But I'm not doing that to the neighbor's kid. He's shepherding his flock. I will if I need to, obviously. But I mean, that's love. But you love, you warn people you love. That's part of the elders. We, we warn. You're going to go into a path. This is not good for your life. This is, watch out. This is what the Lord says. This is what's good. And what's, what's, these are green pastures. You're going to, you're out. And, uh, thistles, come back. So a lot of that going on. And Paul did it with tears, and so there was a great humility. The elders are called to warn the sheep in the love of Christ. Night and day, he said it with necessary, unless their ship, unless their faith was to, to suffer shipwreck. And we do that through the word. So in, in summary here, the elders watch over the sheep. They lead them in righteous paths they, to feed them the word of God and pray for them. They guard them from false teachers and false doctrines from within, without, and they also warn. And the last, and this is where we're going to end here, is, is the last thing Paul does here is this, that elders must do, verse 32. Now I commit you to God. <laughs> I commit you to God. If we think that just the elders doing all this stuff is going to do anything, we are fooled. But let me tell you, without the elders doing something, we're in trouble. 
God has chosen to work through people. Do you know that? And so we are responsible, but ultimately, it's God who does the work. It's his sheep. It's his pasture. It's he who's the great shepherd that we need to trust. But he's given us the responsibility to shepherd the flock. Make sense? He says, Paul says, I know this is regarding division within the church, but he says, Apollos, or I, I put the seed in and Apollos watered, or one of those back forth, but it was God who gave the increase. And the point was to bring the church together that we're not we're on the same side. But the point is that God gives the increase. But we still need to plant the seed and we still need to water. Amen? It says, Now I commit you to the word of to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The elders are, are to be actively engaged in watching and leading and feeding and guarding and warning, but ultimately they have to entrust, we have to entrust you to God. We do. We have to trust that he's going to do what he's going to do, and that's what the faith is. We've got to have faith in God. Amen? It's like with our kids. We do everything we're called to do as parents. We sweat, we toil, we pour out our lives, but at the end of the day, we've got to commit them to the Lord to trust. And by the way, that committing is not just be free, goodbye. Committing into God and the word of God. We're directing them into the things of the spirit. So, Paul is entrusting them to the word of his grace, not just good luck. In closing, verse 33 through 36, Paul is giving his last words to the Ephesian elders. Verse 33, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and that the needs of my companions and everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than receive. And the last mark of a, a, a shepherd given here is that they live to give. They live to give. They're marked by giving. They're not takers. That's what wolves do. Shepherds lay down their lives. Isn't that just what Lord Jesus did for us? He condescended. He came down. He left all that was good to come down and be with us. And he didn't even have a house. And he was walking around in just great humility. What did he do with his disciples in that last night before he was betrayed? got down and washed their feet. That's service. That's laying down. That's giving. That's sacrifice. And he says, as I've done this, you go do also. And those were the men he sent out to shepherd the church of God. I want to be more like those guys. Pray that your elders would be more like those guys. Amen? That, who were like Jesus. So that you have the example in the flesh of Jesus. We're not going to be Jesus. But I hope to one day say, I'm, I'm, imitate me because I'm, I'm, I'm a lot like Christ. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? That we, we are just leading you by example and by exhortation into the good things of God. So with that, it says... Um, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. And they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was a statement that they would never see his face again. 
and they accompanied him to the ship. And so the Lord has made us a fellowship to serve God, to build up your brothers and sisters, to reach the lost and to sacrifice. He's given us elders to watch over us, to lead us and feed us and guard us and warn us and to commit us to God. And there's going to be a day when it's all over. There's going to be a day when it's all over. Nothing more can be done. And on that day, we want to say, Lord, we've done what you've called us to do, all of us collectively. We've brought you glory. We live the way you want us to live. All glory and honor be to you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for this exhortation out of your scripture. We just ask that you would make it a reality in our fellowship more and more. God, we, we want to ask that you would renew our seriousness as elders for, the, for the, uh, the love you have for your sheep. And we, we have it in our minds and we're dedicated in our actions, but just grow us in that, Lord. And be merciful to us. And Lord, we pray that your sheep would be healthy when they wouldn't be out getting taken out by wolves. Give us eyes and give us ears and give us hearts, Lord, more and more like you. And when that day appears, when we stand before your great throne, you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant to each of us. Elders and sheep, we're all sheep under you, Lord. And so, Lord, be glorified this week. Protect us from the evil one and lead us in your righteous path. Amen.